Welcome to the podcast, another pint with Shawnee B. Thank you all for your continued support and listenership and tweets and sharing. It's been a lot more episodes now than I thought we'd we'd get to, and uh, I'm quite enjoying it. And we're going to keep going. I think there's something good happening and a lot of people have sent great messages of support about the guests that we've had on a lot of the thing with the podcast has been to interview older people about their brave and creative lives and part of that of course with a view to sending back wisdom and advice to the upcoming generation this is the first podcast i have with one of those members of the upcoming generation he is the youngest person i've had on the podcast at 28 years of age his name is jamie mciver he is if you imagine a sort of a young russell brand that will give you a bit of the sort of vibe that's going on here i think he'll be quite a force in the future which is why i'm interviewing him this may be his original breakout interview he lives on a barge in london we're going to ask a little bit about that and he is also involved in a very important thing to do with the world which is the issue of climate change and how we can uh, alleviate climate change especially through things like fuel and energy he is a biotechnologist i'm welcoming to the podcast jamie mciver oi oi how's it going very good just move into the mic a little bit closer because we want to hear your tale the first thing i want to know is what is it like living on a barge in london it's brilliant actually it couldn't be any better i so jamie is a bit like a pirate and i'm a bit like a pirate and i remember talking to him the other night about <laughs> when i was in in asia and i was possibly going to live in hong kong i had the idea of living in a barge and i was told that the sort of romance of living in a barge far exceeds the reality of living in a barge discuss so it has its highs and its lows barge life boat life boat life and um we're just coming through february now so winter 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 is cold don't get me wrong you can't lie about that you know you've got to have a good stove you've got to have a good hot water bottle or two you've got to have a routine in the morning which then gets you out of bed heats up the interior back in bed and then you're able to go back into the interior yeah. when it's nice and snug and it's a bit more welcoming, unless you're in a rush and then it's just shit. You know, right. you're waking up and seeing your own breath is um, is an awesome all the time. However, on the romantic side, London is beautiful and more green than you could even imagine. And you just get to see all of that when you're living along the river. And so I, my favorite part of London is Walthamstow Marshes, very near Finsbury Park up in zone two. Yeah. And in zone two, you feel like That's you're really in a- central. Totally central. Yeah. And you feel like you're living in a completely different really? world. Oh yeah, it's like, I've had friends come over and it's like, Jamie, oh my God, it's like we're in a different country. I just live on a, I, I get to see the sunrise every morning uncut by buildings and it's beautiful. There's some rule with barges that you have to move them. Is that right? Every two weeks, yeah. Okay. I started in Regent's Canal area near Bethnal Green, moved all the way over to Tottenham Hale, and then was able to go all the way back, and now I've cut through and I'm in King's Cross. In that time, I went... So you're in a barge in King's Cross? I'm in a barge in King's Cross. I'm in pri- prime real estate, canal man. Canal in King's Totally. Cross. Yeah, go to, go to Central St. Martin's. Back there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, that, you know, everything is all turning into swanky Flatville over yeah. there, right? And... And here I and there I am. Oh, by the way, everyone, I pay two hundred and fifty pounds a month because I'm leasing it off my friend, which okay, is so which two hundred and fifty a month is. Uh, it's not bad. Yeah, that's very I good. can I can and I can hack the seeing your breath in the morning at that because overall romantic system in there, 
it's the canal community. There's just the most beautiful people. Everyone is a human being. You know, you get London and everyone doesn't want to look you in the eye on the tube. Yet all these people are here to see you as a human being, whatever you are. You know, my, you know, my... And is the community all... All ages, classes, all misfits. Yeah, Honestly, my, we've got neighbour one way who's an ex junkie who's all right. crazy and he's an ex, you know, he's a hardcore rock and roller and all this kind of stuff. And then two down, there's a guy who runs the book barge who's just been on the river for the last 60 years who's yeah. wonderful. It's just, and everyone knows each other yeah. because obviously you're kind of inter- you're interlinked. Into yeah, literally. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and um, one of the jam. things you said to me the other night as well, which <laughs> I liked, was Jamie would be. Um, guy who wouldn't have a problem you know staying in the swanky flat he's got he's got a few bob under him but you did say that you wanted to challenge yourself by moving into something like a barge or moving out of your comfort zone talk a bit about that i love it i sure i'm you know i'm very privileged i'm very lucky mom has a place in battersea for example yeah. right which is great lovely uh but from my own kind of initiation coming into manliness as a millennial if I fit that bracket and I think I do a lot of us if I'm going to be generalist there you know everything's been handed on us in a convenient speed time to plate you know mm-hmm. washing machines and electricity and heating and the hard knocks ain't there really yeah. and so hence why everyone's so dang short in their wants for things everyone's so kind of impatient perhaps and so moving on to the boat me being a renewable energy biosustainability, eco-warrior type of person mm-hmm. uh, is everyone should live in, you know, I'm not going to advocate for caravan living, it's not everyone's thing. I'm not going to mm-hmm. advocate for barge living, it's not everyone's thing. But everyone should spend at least six months of the year on an area which is self-contained and therefore you massively have to be resource efficient. I have a water tank, therefore, you know, I can't leave the taps running. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a battery which is powered by solar and over winter there isn't much sun, so mm-hmm. I can't leave the lights on all of these sorts of things which many people take for granted and you know yeah. you're living in king's cross and even unfinished buildings i'm looking at being developed they've got the lights on you know obviously there's a marketing side of that but give me an overview on how you see the issue of climate change okay. before we get into the specific everyone's talking about climate denial you know and clump uh, clump trump doesn't believe in um climate change and so on and there are other friends of mine who also think that you know we're all going through an ice age or we're coming out of an ice age anyway so it's going to get warmer or whatever sure and so i speak to the people who might therefore be listening to this and then being like climate change oh shit i'm going to switch it off it's more you cannot deny whether or not you choose to deny climate change man-made climate change and global warming or not you cannot deny man-made atmospheric carbon dioxide pollution. Right. We pollute the earth, the atmosphere, with carbon dioxide. Yeah, we can see it in smokestacks. We can do it in smokestacks. <laughs> we see it in the Delhi smog. We see it yeah. in China. We see it wherever. Yeah. Now, whether or not people are saying and bleeding, bleating about that having an impact on, and that's a man-made impact on climate change, it doesn't matter. It still affects every other ecosystem out there. You know, so be it that climate change is the, the buzzword, it's still pollution and it's still something that you need to, to address mm-hmm. and our system doesn't okay. slash our millennial generation slash everyone doesn't they all say oh we'll roll over because someone else will do it I mean yeah. I could be one of those someone else's but it shouldn't start there yeah. it should start with everyone at home thinking fuck I've got to turn on a light I'm sorry if I'm swearing no, so. alright cool nice rock and roll <laughs> podcast um, but um yeah, you you know. Otherwise, then it gets it's, it's, it gets ridiculous because then it's everyone saying, "Well, it's not me," you know. And then, but you know, we're all part of this. Yeah. We're all of that ecosystem. 
of which the whole world is an ecosystem of which we have the opportunity to consciously because we're of that level of intellect to make decisions whereas animals yeah. just act on instinct yeah. and they don't know whether or not their shit in the woods does anything what the beauty of their instinct and ecosystem is is that everything is actually quite mutually coexistent and mutually mm. supportive whereas we've just come in and and basically you know we'll stick a pipeline through here and we'll stick a dam on that and we'll just block this and block that and re-divert this and re-divert that just because apparently we can speak and everything yeah. else and we don't give a shit about anything there else. is a there is a, a sort of a, a doomsday version of climate change mm. which is an acceleration point that it, you know, I think it was the day after tomorrow, and movies like that explore. Yeah, yeah. Is that likely or very unlikely? There are books that I'm reading at the moment that already say that we're past that. There's a 30 year lull. What we're doing now will have a 30 year lull in terms of impact. You can produce all the CO2 in the world, and it will go up into the atmosphere. It doesn't go anywhere. So that's why we're at 440 or whatever parts per million. We were at 275. Yeah. And yet suddenly we've just kind of, you know, it, it's, it's just become highly much more concentrated. Yeah. Even if we were to stop and suddenly go all to an alternative energy, yeah. we're still going to see it because it's going to slowly creep up on us. The doomsday idea, I don't want to be morbid. You know, yeah. I'm much more positive in my output and outlook uh, of which... We will change. Unfortunately, things will become extinct. Mm. The more things that become extinct, the more aware that we become of those things and it's that is our fault and it's happening. Then the more people will begin to start to push for change because it's got to be a bottom up and a top down kind of thing. How did you get so passionate about climate change? And tell me a little bit about what we were like in school and how how you kind of got into this. Okay. Um, So I didn't study anything to do with it. I grew up in Hong Kong, which was cool, massively, again, privileged. I was exposed to the world in a way where I saw how beautiful it was, should we say. The budding hippie roots began to flower, of which Hong Kong obviously is then part of China and massively polluting. And so there was a huge pollution I wave. Guangzhou myself. Ah, well, yeah, can be, yeah, up there. Mucky. Pretty mucky, yeah, yeah. Started to think, well, what can you do about it? Gradually, I was studying other things. I studied Chinese, and the idea of doing something business-based and capitalistic and corporate greedy was on the cards because, obviously, you have grown up in Hong Kong, so there's an entrenchment into that sort of mindset. So you were being pushed into sort of finance, for one sort of thing, no? Kind of, yeah, just something to do. You know, my dad was sourcing, and my mum's doing clothes, you know, fast fashion as well as ethical fashion, and they rode on the globalisation wave where we were in the 80s it was just like come on we'll set up a business here instead of you know we'll make these profits over there because we can exploit everywhere right and and we'll also offset all of our pollution into all these other places Yeah. Um, yeah 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 but i get it that my generation have a lot more difficult in terms of opportunity in terms of being able to live as affluently or as luxuriously as many others at the moment and this is a big struggle that I think many of us are all kind of suddenly going what the hell why and so I wanted to try and do something that was going to not only be in alignment with what it is that I want for the world and how I want my children to grow up but also something that would make me a lot of money so I did Chinese and management which was then that was going to be running a business in China because you're told when you're younger that if you speak Chinese, you can yeah. do anything and speak to everything and blah, blah, blah. Bollocks. Um, <laughs> and um, then decided halfway through management that I wanted to do environmental sciences if I could. Chinese was already a hard degree. 
I decided to, when I graduated, I went into recruitment. I fell into recruitment as most people do, but with the intention of setting up an energy desk so as to then recruit for the sector. Right. And if I recruited for the sector, then it would mean that I would have to become more and more savvy because I would be exposing myself to these people in this industry and I'd need to know my talk right. so as to be able to make sure that, ugh, even though it's disgusting, push them on as human commodities, etc. Yeah, yeah. All that, yes. Then very lucky. Have a little evil streak in you that was trying to put right on people. Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's been get a, them on the inside. Thanks, straight. There's, there's an air of milking and manipulation in this. Yeah, 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 definitely. But you know, it's it's played the hands you're dealt. You know, yeah. I then found myself after a nine-stage interview process, joining a high-end boutique executive search firm that focused on power and infrastructure in emerging markets for private equity very well connected with all of the big money of the world who are developing all of these energy and infrastructure projects so then i'm speaking to very smart people and learning very intricate things in terms of how to develop projects that was i was earning a bit better money and then i started to take an energy and fuels from waste course because i identified that wind and solar are great but they're not and why are they not because they don't supply guaranteed demand. You can get wind power on a windy day at yeah. a time that might not be convenient for when you turn the kettles on at nine o'clock. And solar is the same. Do these solar and wind generators though not make power that can then be stored? If you have a good enough battery storage piece, okay. yes. But there is this idea that for every wind turbine that's made, there's some sort of backup generator that needs to be able to make sure that they can meet power demand as right. well, which means that it's just like you're just still polluting. On top of that, the carbon footprint that goes into the extraction of the steel and the silicone, which are non-renewable, and the payback... For the actual windmill. For the, yeah, the, exactly, the for the actual panels. solar device right. itself yeah. is massive. And so the, then catch up to come up with just mm, getting neutral with that. Quite, quite literally, yeah. So around this time you were in drifting into, into energy, this was around the time, right, that the whole carbon credits thing was the big news right to tell briefly what that is and and the background to it so the carbon output that you produced if i am large company that's producing a lot of carbon dioxide from my power station i can then offer you know for someone to take on my carbon and i will pay them to take that so then i offset my end of year bottom line or bank or financial statement balance sheet end of year whatever annual report to say oh this year we've done so much better because we just sold it to the philippines ding yeah. you know and that's so like a, a forest in sweden that has hard produces hardly any yeah and then they made a lot of money carbon carbon or maybe that's a bad example because they couldn't down trees but uh, <laughs> versus a you know a detroit motor company that can then go we, we'll partner with this other company that's producing very little and the net effect is that between the two of us we've got hardly any yeah, mm, yeah. why are you so down on that because it's still you're treating a symptom not the cause you know it's like like most of the problems of this generation in this world today is that we can treat symptoms not causes means the only reason why they do that is because you can make money on treating the symptom if you treat the cause you cut the head off the snake Mm. then all of the other economics that below it they're gone which means that you you kill a, a whole Workforce ultimately in the in the in the case of ethical thinking, but at the same time, you, you if you if you found a solution to it all, then you give a lot more space for other things to take place as an evolve yeah. from that, which have a benefit. But at the moment, no, we just stay quagmired in this shite hole that is the problem. Is it fair to say though that that carbon trading, carbon neutral, carbon whatever, 
thing is mm. being exposed for what it is and we're looking for new things or not i wouldn't say it's being exposed it's being it's, it's there as a back door i mean carbon capture storage is just basically sweeping it under the rug so explain what that is well it's just like if i've got a mine or i've got an empty oil fill an uh, oil well in the middle of the sea and now that it's done i can pump co2 into it right. so what's be- so dangerous about that although it, it sounds extremely dangerous it, if, if it was to break or what, yeah. well it, it still do- it doesn't it doesn't again treat the cause of the fact that yeah. You know, we're just finding shortcut, convenient solutions that don't address the real problem. So we're saying carbon never goes away. Uh, it, it takes a lot longer than methane, for example. Right. Methane is, you know, the big, naughty, bad for the atmosphere. Basically uh, cows farting. Cow, big cows fart and all yeah. of that. And natural gas is methane, yeah. you know. So okay. if there's a natural gas spill splurging out into the atmosphere, that's very bad. Right. And that happened last year in America. Right. continuously for days and no one said anything about that so carbon never goes away and we're now sort of zeroing in on where your focus mm-hmm. is so nice uh, you're in biotechnology let's before we get into what you do let's talk about what biotechnology means versus say you know the wind and solar thing or is that part of it or what biotech in this instance in where i'm coming from is we are modeling nature we are therefore not using a man-made kind of chemical or physical process to make energy to make energy so modeling nature would be photosynthesis exactly okay right what we are looking at is taking a natural biological process and optimizing it to make sure that optimize sounds like a weasel word what does that actually it means that we provide for the best possible conditions available for these microorganisms naturally occurring microorganisms to operate and therefore be as efficient as they can, which means that then they are in their element. So explain this to my mother. Okay. In very simple how it works. Like it, is it like compost or? Uh, com- compost is an element of right. this, but every it's degradation. There's a conventional technology now. I don't know. I'm going to think about how I'll summarize it for your mother, right. but I'm just going to explain it out now yeah. to do that because it's easier and better. You can take any organic material and you can put it in a plastic bag and you can seal it. If that bag was open versus if it was sealed, there would be different types of microorganisms that would grow on this, let's say grass was in the bag, on this grass, and they would rot it, just like if you've left something in the fridge for too long or outside. Now, if it's open and therefore aerobic, it's a little bit more like composting. And if it is closed, it's anaerobic. This is then the current technology that we're evolving, and that's anaerobic digestion. Now, Composting and that organic material there makes one gas, like you and I breathe out CO2. I want to focus on the anaerobic side. The anaerobic microorganisms breathe out methane, or biomethane better. And biomethane is a green natural gas alternative. So we're talking just just again, give it a sort of... To 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 simplify. Simplify. We have, you're about collecting waste and treating it in a different way to normal in order to produce methane and then harness that methane. Is that fair? Ultimately, yes, at this stage one. that You're, you're completely correct. Yeah, okay. that's how to explain it to mothers. And when you say waste, it can it, be anything. Any, yeah, I say waste, but it's any organic input. So we could grow grass. I mean, energy crops exist where they grow maize in Africa, for example, which yeah. can then go into these systems to then produce this biomethane. Now, the problem with it, if I use Africa as an example... 
is that then this maze takes up land, which could be used for schools yeah. from the neighbouring village. It takes up water, fresh yeah. water, which could quench the thirst of all of the people in Africa. And it takes up food, mm. which could then again stop malnutrition starvation. or starvation. I mean, again, the similar to all the Prius drivers who think they're saving the world, the mm-hmm. idea of biogasoline in America, which is reliant on corn, ethanol, mm-hmm. and stuff mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I read somewhere that the actual cost of producing like a buck's worth of ethanol is like on the environment, on the corn, on water, yep. on everything. It's just, it's just lucrative. Yeah. I mean, it's no, not like lucrative. Nonsense. It's ludicrous. Ludicrous. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and, and it, it's absolutely not. It's not eth- environmentally it's, friendly. It's not. It's not. Right. Again, so it's not solving anything. But someone's come up with an idea where let's stick green stamp on this. So let's paint the picture of your technology in the light of that Prius car. What would change if your technology was suddenly the one that was adopted? Okay. I would like to explain the longer term okay. of what we're looking to do first. Right. Because, I mean, in, in relation to that Prius car, that it's even bigger. Okay. okay. So, so biomethane as yeah. a system which we can upgrade already is good. Great. Is but the it's, methane coming out of the, quote, mouths of bacterium? Ultimately, right. yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. grow on rotting... Yeah, yes, yeah, in effect. Now, what we're also developing is the opportunity to produce hydrogen. So instead, we get to a certain phase in our degradation process, and we've got two routes now. One of them, which is more close to market, which is why we talk about it first, because it's more relatable to the market, more penetratable, is biomethane. And then what we're developing now is biohydrogen. So let's split down the biohydrogen route, which means that any organic input can then be turned into hydrogen, which is a carbon zero fuel. Wicked. Now let's say that we took grass and we grew grass. Grass is carbon absorbing in its photosynthetic nature. And so therefore that means you've got carbon absorbing plus carbon zero is in effect carbon negative or carbon absorbing as an energy supply chain, which means that in the grand scheme of things, if we're talking about cars and we implement them into hydrogen cars or if we implement them into hydrogen fuel cells that power parts of the city, decentralized distributed parts of the city, we're looking at being able to create an energy system that in the process of making and generating that energy takes carbon from the atmosphere. So that 440 parts per million, if we were to scale this out globally, would then begin to slow down and eventually reduce. Of which then, if we managed it correctly, and we had foresight, which is another thing that we lack in this generation, we would be able to orchestrate for a carbon reversal, carbon parts per million over time reversal, of which then climate change, or at least human-induced atmospheric CO2 pollution is removed, or goes away yes yeah. I remember when I was Big time I remember when I was working in Singapore many years ago a friend of mine David Brain hello David if you're listening hi David we were charged with trying to come up with the future of the airline business airline travel and David uh, was a uh, ex-journalist and he was able to get hold of Arthur C. Clarke who nice. was in uh, in Sri Lanka at the time I think up to no good but uh, he uh, he did say that uh, one of one of his predictions was he always looks 30 plus years into the future is that we will crack hydrogen mm-hmm. and that we will crack hydrogen fusion and he mm-hmm. predicted that an airline would be able to fly around the world on a glass of water like this mm. is that close to where you're going or is is yours is hydrogen fusion a separate thing to you, 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 the hydrogen is put to a fuel cell 
right. of which it's where you source the hydrogen in this instance. And okay. this is my knowledge. You're you know, the raw material. Yeah. Yes, right. yes. I want to now suddenly jump into all the listeners out there that I'm in biosustainability, but I am no scientist by okay. such. Yeah. I am. I came from Chinese and management. Yeah. I'm just keen. Right. And okay. so, yeah, so I, my job is to translate what scientists say into investor slash layperson speak. Okay, so we have got quite technical, despite your alleged lack Mm. of uh, science. Oh, yeah. Let's just uh, move on from this with a summary of what sort of a future this biotechnology, be it methane or hydrogen, will bring to the world. So uh, the the thing you were talking about there, most people know that there's too much carbon in the atmosphere. What you just said was you're not just going to reduce the carbon in the atmosphere, you're going to make it non-existent kind of thing, yeah. possibly over time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Here's, let's bring it back to a city, the car, the Prius discussion. How does this? How does the world look then if we crack energy this, like if, this? If, if we are looking at large-scale agriculture, which we need to look at pioneering full stop as the population continues to increase, we'll be on top of our game there. Now, there will be waste in this there will be commodities that are being produced there will be byproducts from these commodities that will be waste of which we would be able to take and produce if we were to go and full market market penetrate the whole world to turn into hydrogen even though there was some sort of production on these byproducts we're now looking at a complete global turnaround with regards to everything is not being wasted it's being upcycled Right. And there's a big line, which is cradle to cradle. There's a guy called William McDonough, who's a Stanford, I believe, professor who does this upcycling idea. Well, he went, he started the book Cradle to Cradle, and he's updated it. Now it's upcycling, where you find a purpose in what is waste. You know, Zero value product is another way of calling waste. Yeah. Um, of which then suddenly, if you're looking at all of this agricultural waste or human waste or ultimately anything organic, we can then turn into something that does not contribute to carbon dioxide. And what about the non-organic waste, the plastic and all that stuff? Is that just sit there rotting and causing problems? Plastic don't rot, man. (laughs) There are technologies that will and can. Pyrolysis is one where you can gasify something in an an environment without oxygen. It's early stage, of course. There's plasma, which is heating things up to like something like 5,000 plus degrees and basically incinerating it in a second, which would mean that all your plastic's gone and then there's a synthetic gas as an energy alternative. It's not exactly great. You know, biomethane and this syngas would produce carbon dioxide. The big thing about us with hydrogen is that we produce pretty much zero. You know, it's like 0.2%. So we will have a future where we will need to take both organic and inorganic. We have to take everything. Everything. Ultimately, we have to make sure that we are fully... You know, there is a circle, yeah. that everything is closed loop. The reason why I went into energy and fuels from waste is because we are a wasteful species. And the more of us there are, the more of us that, that we will waste. Unless we go full back Pocahontas or standing rock ideals, you know, this yes. sort of mindset where we don't take, we leave yeah. things, which is a quote from a book called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, which I recommend everybody read. I'll put a link to that. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Daniel Daniel Quinn's Ishmael is fantastic, and the William McDora is upcycling. And another plug is Daniel Pinchbeck's latest book, How Soon Is Now, which everyone should read. A lot of that was um, over my head, and I'm sure over some of my listeners. But I think it was really interesting to talk to somebody who is at the at the front end of hopefully solving our major energy Big issues things. that we all kind of know is coming. Um, mm-hmm. 
<laughs> just a little bit more about you. You you had a brush with death. Tell me about that. Yeah, that was it. We were talking about how I got into this, and mm. we didn't even get to that part. No. So I was recruiting for these high-end private equity people, earned a lot of money, doing quite well, living that, considering buying a box apartment in King's Cross, for right. example. <laughs> and um, then I decided to go snowboarding, and I love snowboarding. I've been snowboarding for a long time. As the uh, years said, there's two, there's two positions in snowboarding, very, very cool, or dead. You're dead. And I, well, I did both, or pretty much. <laughs> um, so I went to Switzerland, because one could, because one could afford it, and went to Samaritz, which was fantastic. Went alone, which was probably... It's ill-advised. Don't do that. Loved it. Had a great time on the on the mountain. The Swiss are very good at following the rules, which meant that everywhere off piste was my playground, and I had a great time shredding. Went there for four days. Last run of the last day. I was going down to the, the, the bar next to the hotel to have a pint to get to the airport. I don't know when or how. I have zero recollection, but I... Um, I flew off a mound and then there was a downward gradient below the mound of a, a slope, which I didn't see. So the further I flew, the further I fell. The guy who saw me said that I flew an arc of about 50 meters, inverted 180 degrees, landed on piste, so hard ice, took out an eight inch hole with my head, crumpled on itself. I had a frontal and sub, uh, yeah, frontal and subdural, I think, hematoma, bleeding brain was induced into a coma to make sure that then they could patch up my compound fracture and my shattered arm and my, my fractured spine, would you believe it? And I can still move, it's great, oh, insane. Wow. Um, woke up in hospital. So wait, you, you hit the snow, you hit the ice, mm. luckily someone saw you. The, yeah, and luckily he was a ski instructor and luckily he had a walkie-talkie on him. Right. So luckily he made sure that my recovery response time was zero seconds, right. of which of all the places to have an accident, Switzerland's a great one to have yes. Booper International, you know, yeah, damn yeah, straight. I was choppered out and I was put into a fantastic hospital. I received excellent care. You remember care. nothing of the... Zilch. Right. No, one of my first memories is seeing my elder brother and his wife sitting at the foot of the table and then like, it's like blacking in and out. It's like growing up again. It's like when you have a memory of Aunt Teresa or whoever with a red jumper on when you were like three and a half and yeah. that was it. And I have these pockets. Yeah. Of, um, of memories. Of so you stuff. broke your skull, you fractured your spine, you fractured your arm in many places. Mm -hmm. and you Amongst really others. You were induced in a... Do you remember I, even being in hospital when you got there? Um, not... Um, only only when I saw when my brother... To, yeah, only when I... How long were you in a coma? Uh, five days. Right. Yeah, so... But again, it was induced. So everyone asked me, it's like, what did you see? I'm yeah. like, I didn't play chess with Buddha right. or anything like that. But it was, you know, whatever it was. Luckily... Okay, so I, I, I put down the fact that I survived so well down to five maybe six things they starting with realism right and then i get esoteric and russell brandy i had a helmet on i didn't really want to go obviously i was protecting myself uh the ski instructor was there right place right time so we can talk that slightly esoteric amazing care in switzerland fantastic as a human being i've got quite a lot of energy so i did probably had the choice if i had the choice i probably said nah I'm not going to go on the boat. And then uh, the last one was that my little brother and my mother put my face, put it out on my Facebook. And Facebook for once actually became like, oh, this is a shit part of my life. Rather than, oh, this is always the best part of my life. It's so great. And um, I was like, Facebook is like the perfect representation of everyone's best self because yes. everything good happens on Facebook, but there's no one crying under yeah. a shower yeah. after being broken up with or whatever yeah. on Facebook. And so me, I was there, you know, looking like an absolute 
Tron, basically. Oh, they put a photograph oh, of you. Oh, yeah, there's me. Michael yeah. Schumacher style. Proper style, yeah, yeah. yeah, and saying, hey, this has happened to Jamie, and I'm really lucky. I've traveled a lot, and I've seen a lot of people, I've met a lot of people, and I've made fantastic connections with a lot, a lot of people over the world, and I received a lot of love. Now, this is esoteric. Call it a prayer, call it a hope, call it a wish, call it a whatever. It's all an expression of energy, if we're going to go with that, in inverted commas, for all those who are skeptical. But that is hope, and I received a lot of it, of which... You know, when I got back to the UK, I astounded my doctors in how fast I was recovering. I'm very lucky. Let's put it that way. Do they think you have brain damage? My poor family, really, uh, went through... It was every day. We don't... You know, he might wake up. He might not. He might be able to open his eyes. He might not. He might be able to move his neck. He might not. Uh, he might be able to recognise you. He might be able to remember you. He might be able to speak. He might not. It's. It was... Every single thing was incremental. He might. He might not. And yet, I just kept doing better and better and better so I'm so meanwhile within the coma you you didn't see anything remembering no, it was no, all no, dark no, no when you came out of the coma though did you realise how close to death you'd become eventually you know so I was all very childlike actually and the doctor said that I would go through a phase where it would be basically like relearning it would be it was like being reborn I literally had to learn how to walk again and how to wipe my ass again and eventually how to cross the road again. Did you know that you were learning how to walk again? Like, did you know I used to be able to do this or was it like, I have no idea what my legs are for? Um, I think that was all very early stage when I was in yeah. Switzerland and everything was very pocket in, pocket out memory. Yeah. I remember a lot more when I was back in London of which I was quite functional then. But, you know, everything else was... Just, I was just very tired slash drugged up kind of make sure that I um, followed, you know, what they what the doctors wanted me to do to the strictest of instructions, which is, again, maybe why I did so well. But coming through it all, I don't know, it felt... The relearning side of things was progressive, but, again, it you know, I was very boisterous, um, as you know, and, like, as a child, I was probably, yeah. like, a toddler, and I was therefore, you know messing my mum about a lot you know who was who'd just gone through the works of, of yeah. the toughest one of the most difficult experiences of her life and then there was this growing into a new sense of myself and it was only when I saw what the ski instructor drew on photoshop of my full jump did it actually really hit home about how lucky I really was yeah, because yeah. honestly I've got a picture of it and it is insane it's, is your life governed by pre-accident post-accident do you think I'd say that I can't Okay, I, I can't change the accident. Yeah. In fact, and this is an interesting way of tying back into how it is that I'm here now working, yeah. sitting opposite you, talking about the environment. I would not have this job without the accident because right. obviously I was doing a lot of private equity work and earning money. Then I had the accident and not my perspective changed, but there's definitely an idea where it's like, only do what you want to do. So I only did what I wanted to do and I built up this medical waste project. I was building it up before the accident and then lo and behold, I wake up in a hospital, yeah. best place to ask questions and whether it was just to entertain me or not, yeah. they did. And so I had a solid and pretty robust business plan which actually began to build traction. Now, I explained this to a great friend of mine who wanted to catch up with me and she went, oh my God, Jamie, you've got to speak to my dad. And her dad is now my business partner who is the inventor of this tech. So there is a pre and post accident. Yeah. I'm a different person to what I was before, but at the same time, I've got to count my blessings. I'm still alive. I'm now working in the job, which I would say is not a job. It's a hobby. Yeah. I love it. And um, and it has purpose, which drives me and brings energy. It's not like I get up in the morning and sigh because I have to go and do whatever it is. Are you a spiritual person? Do you believe in God? <laughs> no, I'm not God. I believe that um, 
we are all the universe experiencing itself. We are all existence experiencing itself. You are existence, I am existence. We are all diff- we are different versions subject to our upbringings and whatever. But at the same time, if existence is all there is, then existence is God as we know it in this bit. So then if you are existence, you are God and vice versa. And for the same for me. Your openness to this sort of trusting in the mystery and this going with that flow, if you're open to it, then you encounter paths of least resistance or less resistance, which mean that good things come to you. There are no coincidences. I see running into people that I haven't seen in many years on the street as a sign of saying I'm in the right place at the right time, if I choose to believe that, you know? And if I do, psychosomatically or not, I am then increasing my outlook and making it more positive, which means that my outlook only continues to compound in a positive fashion. And then I just, yeah, it's kind of like keep winning. How do you see the world, you know, the future of the world in this, you know, we're in the, we're in the, Trump Reich. Yeah, Bernie Sanders should have won. How is it possible won. to get? How is it possible to stay positive? In the because face of so much shit going. Because I'm only doing my bit, and that's all I need to care about. Right. Because as long as I'm doing it, then it means that I and I am shaping my own reality. I view everything that happens within me. So it, in effect, you know, I said you're the universe. I'm the universe. I'm my universe. I'm my own existence. It's up to me to make it that. And if I can turn on the radio and be like, oh, doom and gloom, Trump, Theresa May, whatever, then, of course, I'm allowing myself to then absorb all this shit that makes me feel like shit. Whereas if I don't, and I don't. Um, Do you get a sense that the generation like the, in their 20s right now are starting to galvanise a little bit? or I'd say that there's been some sort of shift in a way where there is, could you call it an awakening? There's a realisation that they are going to be the ones that have to do it. However, the way in which they're doing it might not, at the moment, and I might be critiqued on this, be as in sync with what real work is. You know, we can, all be key, we can all be keyword, keyboard warriors and we can yeah. all share something on Facebook and think that we've done our bit. Yeah, but if, I could look at a path of your life that you would be in some, I don't know, Wankstein brokerage firm in Hong Kong right now earning top know, dollar. a million dollars yeah. a year. I have a wife I don't love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, sorry yeah. to everyone who has. <laughs> 50% at least. Of <laughs> um, she. And then instead you have this, as you say, hobby and almost an awakening. Mm. which happened probably because, as you say, of the accident. Mm, definitely, that was a um, huge part, yeah. It, it, what that, What's different to what most of us would be receiving is that I actually have a high amount of autonomy because I'm in a startup, hence why there's this startup yeah. galvanization, this startup awakening, because everyone wants to be independent. Yeah. But when you can start in all those kind of things, no one maybe really knows at the moment, you know, you can have a small startup, but... It's about how much actual work needs to go into it. You know, my parents and my parents' parents who survived, you know, gone through wars and gone through famine and gone through lack of resources and so on and so forth. That's real work. Whereas we've had it like plush and luxury, very easy. And we've got televisions that can show how great it can be and all this kind of stuff. It's if you really want to go and do something, it's only down to you to go and do it. You've got to make the time to go to the gym. You've got to make the time to do the yoga if you want to make yeah. anything happen of yourself. Otherwise, you just slob out on the TV yeah. and it's just, then there you are just consuming energy and oxygen. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, but um, Yeah, exactly. But, um, no, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm all for passion, basically. Mm-hmm. And one thing that corporate lifestyle and structure, for example, bureaucracy, it, it smashes that down. So... 
I'm very lucky that I have this autonomy where the, the company only goes as fast as I let it or my part of the company can only go as fast as I can do it and I can hit hurdles and I can hit pitfalls and I can hit all these other things and it's about working the problem it's about there is there is no no there is only a way through it just you've just got to know how you're going to navigate it with a bit of foresight and a bit of way of doing that and that that's fun and that means that I'm working really hard and I've got myself ultimately if we you know when shall I say let's positively put it out there when this happens I've got myself my career doing that and I'll love it as this hobby but at the same time I'm free what would you say to a you know 18 year old who's just leaving school man uh, you do you Jane McIver, a Rock great chat there. Nice. Uh, very passionate and uh, my first conversation about biotechnology. So that's Woo! one of the great things about these podcasts for yeah. me. And Both. it's great to hear that there are people like you with the passion mm. to go and change the world. And as I said at the start of the podcast, I'm assuming this is your breakout interview. So take care <laughs> of yourself. Yes, yeah, so thank you so very much. Thank, thank you, Sean.